Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. Dr. Mary Murphy is a postdoc researcher with the Faculty of Education and a research associate at Lucy Cavendish College in Cambridge, where she is working on an emerging field of research called hydrosociology. For Mary, at the heart of her work is social justice and environmental sustainability, which she describes as the defining challenges of the 21st century. But it is her socially innovative work with the humble earthworm and food waste in South Africa that we'll be finding out about. I started the interview by asking Mary how she ended up spending a great deal of her time in South Africa. We are born into the places that we're born into and we never really choose them. And I think I, I was very lucky that I actually consciously choose where I wanted to be. And I can't say it with exact, with an exactness, but what it is about South Africa that captivated me. But I can tell you when I got off the plane in 1991 and I, I just, I felt at home immediately. And I traveled, I'd lived in the States for five years. I grew up and was raised in Ireland. I'd moved around quite a bit. I had a sense of other parts of the world, but there was something about South Africa that just really, really stuck, resonated, held me. And it was a place that I felt that I could express this sense of connection to others, to engage in issues in a way that, you know, that was both a learning and growing for me as well as actually trying to make a difference. So I had uh, a, a privileged opportunity to work at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, for example, which was a profoundly moving and emotional experience. But also, again, it was something that I just felt, wow, I'm really part of, of history and part of something really horrible. Um, so bringing some light and balance back to that. There are a lot of inequalities in in South Africa. I I think you would have had to have probably been living under a rock somewhere for the last however many decades to not be aware of that. But with the work that you're doing through sustainability, how are you perhaps levelling the playing field in some way? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not levelling the playing field I mean, I wish I could. I wish I had that power, <laughs> but I don't. Um, but what what I am committed to, I guess, is education. So I think through education, people can be not taught, but learn how to live better with each other, live better with themselves, live more connected with the environment. And if you do, I think if you come, become connected in the world in a very deep meaningful way you'll be connected with everything so i know that sounds um you know i don't know what it might sound like but i think there's some there's some fundamental truth to that and i think the way education system has up for a very long time been based on developing and building and creating children that will go out and get jobs and you know make money and yes of course we have to make a living but I think what we need to be doing is developing children who critically can think for themselves who can know when something is not right not having somebody 
an adult or somebody in another position of power to tell them that it's not right. Somebody's been mistreated. If the environment's been mistreated, they should be able to see it and know it themselves. So, so for me, the key is education. People talk about education being, you know, having the power of transformation. Um, and I, I am committed to that. And I do believe that. Now, there are different methods of, of you know, you can, we can talk for a long time about how you do that. Um, but I certainly, I certainly think that therein lies the answer to all our woes. You mentioned earthworms earlier. Where has that led you? Okay, so my connection with earthworms started with my father and mother because I grew up in a family of nine children. My mother came from a family of 15. Uh, my grandparents and my parents basically fed us through their vegetables. So they grew vegetables in the garden and that wasn't the only thing we ate. Um, I love vegetables, but you know, my mother made homemade bread and we did have have meat and butter and milk, but predominantly without those vegetables, I don't think they would have, they, you know, we wouldn't have been as strong as we are now. Um, and in that process, you know, the kids, we had to go out into the garden and help, you know, harvest, weed, dig, plant. So, um, and, you know, I remember very clearly my dad saying, oh, there's an earthworm. And if there's an earthworm, soil's good, food will grow. And that's kind of where, the, where it, it started. Um, earthworms are incredibly, oh, Darwin described them basically as the, uh, I can't remember verbatim, but essentially of all the species that he studied in his very long and productive life, he dedicated the last three odd years, he said, to earthworms and con considered them the most important to our or natural systems or to to um, to humankind and to the environment, and I the little I know of them, I would agree they touch every part of our lives. People often think of earthworms and worms as the same thing, and I think worms get a bad press. Obviously, you know people think of parasitic worms, and but earthworms are obviously not the same as those that harm you, creatures that harm you. Earthworms do nothing but give us benefit. Not, every single thing they do benefits us. Without them, we could not grow food that we, that we eat. Um, so if you want a tree to grow or you want, you know, a, a bunch of spinach, you're gonna need earthworms somewhere in the system. And um, they, they reduce pathogenic bacteria. They can be, they're used to take mercury and lead and heavy metals out of the soil. They, everything that they, the beneficial bacteria that could give back to us increases soil health, improves plant growth, increases crop yields, reduces water, uh, the need for water because it increases water infiltration and water retention in soils. Um, it, earthworms reduce the amount of methane and carbon dioxide that's released into the atmosphere, thereby having a direct impact on, on climate change. I mean, they're just astounding creatures. But there are over like 5,000 described species on the planet and an additional maybe 5,000 that have yet to be described. So they're not 
they're not, it's not a one size fits all. They all have very distinct roles, very complex roles and, and interconnected um, roles. And I guess I would consider myself like the pure person for earthworms on some level. <laughs> so whilst you were in South Africa, you talked about a partnership that you developed with a, a hotel and it involved earthworms. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so while I was working in South Africa and I was involved in policy and research, local, national, provincial government, looking at the various environmental challenges. And one of them was the city of Cape Town, the municipality of Cape Town described the waste problem that they had as a crisis. And so they were looking at different solutions, but they were kind of constrained by, I guess, jurisprudence, politics, economics, and various things. And I just thought, well, look, I better go out and do something about this. And um, one of the, there are many different types of waste, as you are probably well aware, but the majority of waste that's certainly from places where food is produced on a massive scale, like hotels, restaurants, canteens, factories, um, food producing uh, places, uh, you can have up to 80% of what goes into your bin and therefore onto your landfill is food waste. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go after that because no one seems to be addressing that. Everyone's interested in the bottles, glass, plastic, paper, um, and why not food waste? Because that's the biggest problem. That's the one that causes the smells, the pathogens. That's what doesn't get broken down. On landfill sites, it produces the leachate that destroys soil, destroys water. And um, so I went to this very famous hotel in Cape Town called the Mount Nelson Hotel. And it has been home to people like, you know, when I say home, temporarily uh, residing there. Leonardo DiCaprio, I met Morgan Freeman there. Nelson Mandela himself used to hang, you know, would stay there. So it is, it's quite, and it's quite iconic. It's got a long history. And so I went to them and I said, look, will you just let me set up a worm farm? to process the food waste out of your kitchens. And there were about 72 chefs in those kitchens. And um, they said, I mean, they really looked at me like squiff, you know, like, are you, are you for real? But I mean, I was dressed fairly, you know, in good attire, my nails were clean. You know, I didn't have missing teeth or warts on my face. And so they took me seriously. They gave me some space. I started this process. And essentially what happened was the uh, chefs started to feel really good because chefs don't really like waste, but they were feeling, oh, great. You know, we're not, this isn't going to landfill. There was the horticulturist went, my goodness, I can't believe this. This vermicompost and vermi tea, they're making the plants grow even better than they ever could. We can now grow seedlings. We're not spending money buying compost in. So they were getting that. The marketing team were like, whoa, things are happening, you know. Um, so every single department in that hotel saw some benefits. And I sent out a press release, and that press release was picked up by Reuters and Associated Press. The New York Times um, ran a story, CNN, new newspapers in India, in Latin America and Canada and Europe and all over. And it just struck a chord because here was this big problem that was dealt with in a very simple way. 
through earthworms. They've been doing this for millennia. And we, we you know, so we've been looking for, you know, big compactors and huge landfill sites and um, machinery and trucks and you name it. And all we needed was just to work more closely with earthworms and study what they're doing and, and give them the space to do it. So that's, that's how this um, bigger project, if you like, took off. And, is it and that was in 2005. It's still going strong. The earthworm farm is still, still processing the food waste, still used in the horticulture. It's a new horticulturist now. Um, she's uh, still using, you know, using it in the garden. And it's a win-win all around. Anywhere that people are producing food is where you can put it. You know, kind of like Bill Gates said, a computer in every home. I was like a worm farm in wherever. <laughs> you know, whether it's one at home or in your office or in your restaurant or lodge or village or city. Yeah. There, there are obvious benefits to the environment by doing this. And, and you kind of alluded also to, to the benefits to individuals and communities, but can you kind of expand on on how you can see this being sort of almost socially innovative within communities in terms of, of the manner in which they are sustainable? Yeah, well, sustainability is so you know getting back to I guess what education is about. Like I see education as um, ideally about building critically thinking, competent agents in the world and sustainability that those principles are embedded for me in sustainability so the this work has has led to many individuals benefiting both directly in terms of employment um, so we were able to take people who had literally no taught skills apart from those that, that were picked up through their lives at home, but hadn't, they hadn't had the opportunity to go to um, college or most of them hadn't even been finished high school. In some cases, there was a linguistic and illiteracy barrier. So unable to read and write, linguistically, majority, um, you know, would speak Corsa only, not English. And we managed to teach fundamental principles about the environment and how to take care of it and provide jobs, develop enterprise development so people could actually lead and develop their own work as entrepreneurs from it. Um, you know, one story, um, she, she started and had never been on a mountain. She didn't really, like she was a teenager, she was like mountains and nature, you know. Hi, that's not for me, you know, I want to go to the mall and I want to go shopping. And she is now, that's all she does. So, so this is 10, 12, whatever, 14, 15 years later. And she is now leading as a guide. She leads kids from townships out onto the mountain, in through nature parks. She teaches at schools um, and she's, she's building all these other kids who are, are see, seeing the connection and, um, and going into careers that are of benefit to the environment and not um, 
the other way around, which is what we have been doing, what the economy and certainly, you know, capitalism has has kind of engendered is this notion that all you have to do is just make things and make things and make things, get people who are very good at marketing to to convince you to buy those things and buy those things and consume and consume and consume. And so there's a shift in that. And I think that this business and the work earthworms have have really shown that, shown how you can actually combine a healthy environment with um, social innovation, social um, resilience, and human and individual flourishing in this world. Mary, final question for you. What have you learned in South Africa that you feel could could apply to, to any other community around the globe? The issues that we hear about, like looking at what's happening now with the protests around George Floyd in America, whatever those very deep embedded problems there are in society, you don't have to look far in South Africa. They're in your face. They're just right there. You see the social problems, you know, you see poverty, you can't blinker, you can't not see it. You can't not see the degradation of the environment. It's visible every, you know, I won't say everywhere. Whereas I think if you, you know, certainly living in, in Cambridge, for example, you can, you can happily avoid knowing what's really going on, you know. And I think places like South Africa, and of course, I'm not applying this across the board as a blanket thing, but it's if you choose to ignore and if you want to not see, you will find ways to not see, but it's much more difficult. I would recommend people come down to South Africa and then um, and I think the, I think the one thing I've learned that is the most important thing is it is just not good enough to to turn around and say oh you know it's so awful it's so bad and then just kind of collapse in that you know what can I do it's just not good enough you have to find a way to do to do something we're complicit if there are children on the street, they're street children and they're starving, we are responsible, all of us. So, and I really mean that, but you know, that, that idea that, oh, I'm responsible, but there's nothing I can do, is just not good enough. That was Dr. Mary Murphy, a postdoc researcher with the Faculty of Education and a research associate at Lucy Cavendish College in Cambridge. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.